Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I'm Oz Rashid, and today we have a very special guest, Eric Kaw, Chief Operating Officer with Seed Health. How you doing today, Eric? Hey, Oz, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. So listen, we uh, spend this podcast, we want to learn what different people do from a hiring perspective, what's the through line between great hiring. So I definitely have a bunch of questions I want to dive into there. But another big reason for this podcast and what our listeners are looking for is to demystify a little bit of corporate America. So I want to start here because I find Seed Health to be a super interesting business and very unique. So can you tell us a little bit about Seed Health? Yeah. So Seed is a microbiome science company focused on developing or pioneering probiotic and living medicines. And we apply those medicines not just to, I think, humans, as most people would think about a probiotic, but also to our environment and our planet. So we're really looking for the application of living bacteria and how can living bacteria be used as an alternative or as an added value to some of the more chemical or fake products that exist in the world today. Awesome. In terms of the market and, and the industry overall, how is this different from other probiotics that are out there? Like I drink kombucha every once in a while. How is yeah, this yeah. different than, say, kombucha? Yeah, so this is our, our flagship product, DSO-1, is a oral daily symbiotic. So it's a capsule that you take on a daily basis. But that's probably the more traditional application of probiotics. The products that we're going to be bringing to market are in what we would call different microbiomes. So we're also exploring the application of probiotics in skin, oral, vaginal health, in different applications that could save coral reefs, Mm. different replacements for types of sugars that would be much more healthy for the human and much more healthy for the environment. Mm. Super compelling. I appreciate you sharing that. So you are the chief operating officer for this company. So for our listeners, what does a chief operating officer typically do and how that might be different from your day to day as the COO at Seed? It's interesting, the COO role is probably the most poorly defined role, or I would say that maybe that has the highest amount of variety in its definition company to company, specifically like really big company, Fortune 50, high amount of governance, external investor relations. Whereas if you go all the way down to the startup company, it's a lot more about building. We're a younger company that's just starting to hit its growth curve. So my role is very much around developing team technology process. You know, So I have ownership over what would be your traditional operations functions, think finance, accounting, human resources, engineering, product, and then just kind of day-to-day business operation. Sure. I'm fascinated by this because I believe that your previous stops weren't in the biotechnology space, weren't in the microbiome space. So when you get into a company in a new industry like this, what is kind of the learning process for you? How do you come in and start to provide value over the short, medium, and long term? I've been fortunate to work along founders that are subject matter experts in the business that we've gone into, whether it was dog food at Chewy, cosmetics at BoxyCharm, or now probiotics at Seed. The people who are at these organizations in the beginning have such a wealth of knowledge, and it's just about listening and learning. I'd like to give you something kind of more complicated or more process-oriented than that, but it's doing a lot of Googling, it's reading a lot of the internal documents, and it's having a lot of really interesting conversations. 
Yeah, you know, listen, you probably help some people who are going into a new industry themselves. So I appreciate that explanation. And I find it to be interesting. I think our listeners will too. So last question here. And usually I ask our guests to explain it to me like I'm a 10-year-old. I want to understand how does Seed make money? How do they drive revenue for the company? Yeah. So in its simplest sense, we are a subscription business. You come to our website, seed.com. You sign up for one of our two current products that are in market. And we ship it to you every 28 days so that you can continue to take it as you need it. It's a 30-day supply. Product gets to you in enough time for you never to run out. We generate revenue off of each of those sales. Awesome. Listen, we're going to get more into seed in just a little bit, but I want to talk about the main course here. I want to get into some of your hiring experience. So how long have you been hiring for? When did you become a manager or leader that started hiring? I started hiring, I don't know, 12 years ago. I think at my time at Amazon. That's okay. when it started. Yeah. And fair to say that you've been involved in hundreds of people being hired and hiring process? Yeah, maybe thousands. It's, cl- it's wow. closing in on that number. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So my question is, do you have an overall hiring philosophy? When you go and you sit into a, an interview, whether you're hiring for yourself or you're hiring for somebody at the organization, you're just involved in the interview process. Is there an overall philosophy or tact that you take when you go into these sessions? Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to probably unpack different pieces of this. And I wish that it was probably more codified than it is. A lot of it just is the way I go about it. But I think being part of startup or early stage high growth businesses, hiring is the one place where you need to slow down. You can do a lot of other things fast. You can fail fast. You can learn from your mistakes. You can adjust your strategy. But I talk to my teams a lot about like a measure twice, cut once approach to hiring. Because as I'm sure you know, and uh, everybody's heard, like the cost of a bad hire is extremely high. And when you take the pace of an organization that is growing as fast as these smaller kind of high growth companies are you multiply the opportunity cost impact and what you've lost in the time that you need to go back and do that. So there's a ton of things that kind of go into that. One, it's developing a good cohort or population of people to choose from, diverse, multifaceted. It's mapping out the competencies in a correct way. It's facilitating a good hiring process. It's making sure that your decision-making process has, been, has removed biases. There's a lot of different things that you can do that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in more detail, but it's, it's really about slowing down a little bit because a bad decision in the hiring process has high cost. Yeah, that is fantastic insight. And I'll tell you why, because most startups are just known for moving quick, 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 growth, 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 hockey stick, trying to trying to get up there and, and drive things. But in this area, you say measure twice, cut once. Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah, I really love that. So you take a slower approach to hiring to make sure you get it right. That's awesome. You know, if I could rephrase that, thoughtful is more, probably a better way to do it, right? You sure. have to be a little bit more thoughtful about it because we still like to do it fast. We're still going to try and compact it into a short amount of time, but it's don't cut corners, don't skip steps. Yeah, I'm going to butcher this quote, but didn't they say George Washington, if you gave him eight hours to chop down a tree, he'd spend seven sharpening the axe, right? Something yeah, like that. Okay. So similar Definitely. to that. Okay. That makes sense. I'm interested about some of your more memorable hiring experiences. First, maybe you interviewing, whether positive or negative, and you don't got to name names, but what stands out to you as kind of a memorable experience? Probably the most memorable, and I don't know this necessarily goes to the hiring experience, was Amazon. Part of it was flying out to Seattle. I'd never been to the West Coast. Part of it was just the gravitas of Amazon. You know, at the time, coming from a guy who had spent his time in brick and mortar at Target and Best Buy, you know, Amazon was kind of the big bad wolf and I was going out to interview with him. Went out and did that, interviewed all day, had a good time, felt like it went pretty well and was ready to kind of spend the night and fly back the next day. And I got a phone call at about 10 o'clock at night, you know, Amazon runs those kind of hours and said, hey, can you stay another day? We have a different job we think you might be better for. So reschedule my flight, manage the kind of work schedule back home, go in, interview a complete next day. And that ended up being a job that they offered me. And that was the job that I took. 
And that was a pretty significant change in like the trajectory of my career, not only for the job that I took, which was in the supplement space, which here I find myself in again, but in the fact that it just got me into e-commerce and Amazon, which I came to love over time. So that's awesome. And everybody's really familiar with Amazon as a, as an organization. I'm sure they have a very extensive process. Do you remember how you felt at the end of that day, just in terms of, were you mentally exhausted or did you have a lot of energy? Was there excitement from you? I was mentally exhausted. It, it's a gauntlet. It's a lot of people that you go through in very rapid succession. It's not as bad as I think some people make it out to be, but it's definitely rigorous for sure. It's tough. Very good. And so what about maybe an experience where you were interviewing somebody else? Is there anything that pops out to you, bad or good, maybe a good response, a bad response, somebody that you know did something kind of out of pocket? On the good side of things, I think my favorite interview, I asked the first question to, I forget the exact role, but it was definitely in like the analytics or op- operations space. And the young woman just got up, grabbed the like whiteboard and just started writing on the board. And I stood up next to her and I don't think we sat down for an hour and a half. And we just kind of mapped out and talked about business. And the whole interview plan was just kind of thrown away. But we had one of the most interesting business conversations that I can remember having in, in the context that I didn't expect to have it. Oddly enough, we offered the job and she didn't accept. She went somewhere else. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the interview was, was fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. What a letdown. So you had this kind of game-changing experience, a little bit of audaciousness on her part to just get up and start doing that, and then it didn't end up working out. But I'm sure she had a good experience. Is that somebody you've stayed connected with past, or is that kind of water under the bridge? I follow her. You know, someday I think I'll try and hire her. Your white whale, huh? Yep. All right. I get it. All right. Do you have a favorite question that you like to ask prospective hires? I do. I think the one that I probably ask most consistently, because this definitely varies by kind of functional expertise, is... Tell me about the most significant contribution that you have led and just kind of leave it open-ended. And I think what I like about that question is if you unpack it in a handful of different ways, you understand how they think about contribution to the company. So you're not specific. You're not asking about financial value. You're not asking about leadership of a team. You're kind of leaving it for them to decide how they rate contribution. And I think that's an interesting insight into how a candidate responds. It also opens up the door for a lot of follow-up questions. You're allowing them to pick what theoretically should be the most rich thing that they're aware of. They know it at every detail because of the level of contribution that it had. So you can really start to probe in on areas. And I find that you get very comprehensive and media responses back from the individual. And you can just learn the most by allowing them to lead you to what they've decided is the most important thing that they've done. And look, sometimes on the bad side, if they can't, you're probing questions and you're not getting good responses, that can be, you know, unfortunately, sometimes for the candidate, but very valuable for the interviewer to kind of suss out the type of information that they want. So if I understand correctly, if somebody is giving you a type of contribution, whether it's financial or data or emotional, who knows what type of contribution that they're bringing, does it matter as much what type of contribution as much as how they explain it and kind of their thought process to getting there? Yeah, you can use whatever model you want. I don't subscribe to any particular one, whether it's situation, behavior, outcome. Because the other component of it is, you know, you want to know about their communication style. So this is a subject matter they should be very well versed in because it's something that they were very close to. Theoretically, they know it at a very complex and detailed level. So can they take something that's significant and complex and explain it to me in a short period of time? Okay, I'm going to flip this a little bit because I want to know maybe questions that you're asked or questions that when you hear them, you're like, oh, this is a great question that somebody asked you at the end of an interview. Any that stand out to you there or is there anything or a type of thought process you want to see from people asking questions at the end of the interview to you as the person that's hiring? The questions that I find interesting, and I'd love to even get your perspective on this to turn the question around is, you know, people tend to end interviews with like culture 
questions. You know, what type of culture do you like to work in or what type of environment or what type of a company do you want to work for? I find those questions to be a little bit too, in that case, a little bit too general. I like to ask people or would like to be asked a little bit more specific kind of around like the traits of a culture or just kind of make that a little bit more of a meaty question in an interview process because I think it's so important to candidate employee connection in kind of determining whether it's going to work. And I think a lot of companies just kind of ask that at the end because they feel somewhat obligated to do it. Sure. I'm being interviewed. I like it when the organization's focusing on that as opposed to like, what are your particular skill sets? What is the particular role, which def- you definitely need to get to, but I just think it gets neglected. So I, I like it when interviewers focus on it. Yeah, Jared. And listen, I'm going to allow you to flip it on me because even though I'm interviewing, I want to answer some of these questions myself. You know, I was thinking, and that's a great answer. I was thinking along the lines of when you're the person interviewing or when you're interviewing somebody and they, you ask them at the end, do you have any questions, what you like to hear? Some things that come to mind for me, right, are, and again, I threw you off on that one, so I apologize. Maybe I didn't ask that question as well as I would have wanted to. But I'll answer that question in a minute. Okay. Well, then I'm going to go first and then you're second. Okay. So here's what I'm thinking. I like to see that somebody has researched the company and put in the work, right? It's really good when they bring up something to me that maybe they researched online about me personally or about the company and ask a question that really you'd like to think that was thought provoking to them as they were doing research. Like I came across this and saw this. Can you explain this or what was the thought process here or what? So just somebody that's putting in the diligence. I think that's a really great sign, obviously, for somebody that's going to come in and do that same level of diligence and research when they come into a new role. So I'll, I'll revert it back to you now. Any questions? Maybe you have one that stands out to you that somebody asked you that you thought was really good or what do you like to hear when someone's asking questions back? Yeah, before I answer that, I think to your direct point, I had a candidate, I don't know, three months ago that had done the research ahead of time, had had a bad experience working with, in this particular case, marketing at his other organization, had found out who the head of marketing was at our organization and had asked specifically to include that person in the interview process. Because this role particularly interacted with marketing frequently if the person had been hired. So to see them take that kind of very intentional approach to kind of dictate the interview process, I, I appreciated the effort and we, we gave him the opportunity. So What I'm getting as a theme here is Eric likes it when you take the reins in the interview and maybe do something a little bit out of the norm, right? Because you have somebody that did the research, you had somebody getting up on the whiteboard. That seems to be the things that really stand out to you when people are interviewing with you. Yeah, ownership and intention. I mean, they're important in the way that we work every day. They're also important in the interview process. So. I really love that. So we've all made bad hires. When you miss on somebody, right? And you reflect back on the interview process, What's maybe something that you might have missed or maybe a question you didn't ask that you should have or something that maybe just was a red flag that you didn't pay enough attention to? Yeah. Look, there's a lot of answers to this question because unfortunately you learn through some of your misses. But I think more often than not, the common denominator is fit, not capability. For example, that individual I talked about earlier that went to the whiteboard, ultimately we didn't end up hiring them and they didn't end up coming because it was just a bad fit. It wasn't that the candidate wasn't very good at what they do well. It's what they do well wasn't what we needed in the organization. And I think sometimes on both sides of the equation, you you don't do a good enough job up front of figuring out exactly what this person needs to do and the way that they need to do it, both of those being very important, and then find a way to actually assess them on that. So when you make a hiring decision at the end, the decision that you're making actually manifests itself in what it looks like when that person comes through the door and starts onboarding. I've seen this in a couple different ways too. You know, I've, I've hired people into an organization, then gone to a different organization and hired the same person, and they're substantially less successful for the mm-hmm. same role. Competencies matter, and you have to think about those differences before you make hiring decisions. 
Yeah, I love the way you frame that because so many times when something especially doesn't work out, it's about the individual, it's about the candidate interviewing. But I think you're so right. I think so many times it comes down to the company understanding the role, what their company culture and team dynamics are, what they really value out of this role. Sometimes when we're doing intake sessions and talking with hiring managers, I liken them to therapy sessions because if you're doing it well, you're actually asking and pulling out questions of things that maybe they hadn't thought about. And that's how I think you really identify the fit. So I think it's a stellar call out on your part. Because a lot of times as companies, even here at MSH, there's times where we know we want something, but our ability to have really defined it and target it in the interviewing process, maybe not as good as we want. And those tend to be the hires that don't be successful. So it's not always about the candidate. It's also about the environment you're bringing the candidate in and the understanding of what you're looking for out of that other role. Yeah. I think as a, as a hiring manager too, especially more junior hiring managers, and I was guilty of this, you can find yourself in like sales mode where you're trying to sell the candidate on the company because you're so eager to get somebody into the role. Mm. And then you sell them on something that when they get there, they're like, this isn't what you sold me. And all of a sudden the expectation gap creates a lot of problems, not only just in the the bait and switch component of it, but also they probably didn't properly assess their ability to do the role as they were thinking about taking it. And I think that causes that can cause some bad hiring decisions too. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of mistakes I see is when there's a maybe an artificial timeline on a role. Like, oh my God, we need to hire this role yesterday or this role is so critical to this project. And now you start to rationalize fits and candidates that you might not have if you felt like you know, you had the time in the world to, like we talked about earlier, measure twice, cut once, right? I think it's when you have these timelines that you feel like you need to hit, you start to look at somebody that maybe is not a perfect fit, but rationalize why having somebody in the seat rather than nobody in the seat is actually the right answer. And, and I got to yeah. tell you, nine times out of 10, that doesn't work out. I've had a lot of, I don't know if success is the right word, but it has been a value added activity after we've decided internally that we're going to make an offer. We like them for the role, but we have questions about whether they 100 understand what we're going to be asking of them. And especially in these high growth cultures, what they can expect in terms of pace when they come through the door and maybe lack of resources available to them because we're early stage companies. And I'll take the moment to have another 30 minute call where I'm, you know, in some cases, maybe talking them out of the job, you know, but I think it's that important to make sure that they have a clear understanding because otherwise they're going to say yes and come in. And then that's when they're going to learn that, that extra piece of information or have that conversation. Yeah, I love that, right? You go through the interview process, you know you're getting to the point where you're getting really serious and, and want to formalize things. And now you're almost selling them out of the opportunity, right? And I think that's fantastic at the end of the day, because so much of what we do in the interview to what you said earlier is likened to recruiting and getting people excited about the job. But it's really important that they understand that things are not always puppy dogs and lollipops. They should know the bad with the good and what they're going to have to work through to ultimately be successful. And then if you have somebody who knows all that, and still comes in and still signs on the dotted line, you can feel a lot more confident about both sides' decisions at that point. So I think that's a really smart thing to do and something that anyone listening from a hiring perspective should be thinking about as they get close on somebody they're really excited about, right? Don't be afraid to sell them out of the role a little bit and be really open with them about what are the struggles and, and why they may or may not be successful. This episode is brought to you by MSH. MSH is an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three different continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Find out more at talentmsh.com. Creating a positive experience is something that has become something that we've seen a very emphasized importance on, especially over the last 10 years. I happen to find that candidates and the candidate experience with a company is one of the most underrated forms of marketing that's out there, just in terms of 
you know, if you're not happy with an experience from an interview experience, not only are you maybe not going to work at that company, not only are you not going to tell your friends to work at that company, you might not also leverage that company's products and services. And I think that's really important in terms of giving a good experience, right? And whether the person's a fit or not, why do you think that positive experience is important? And maybe what do you do to try to make sure that the candidate has a good experience? Are there any kind of rules you have or any kind of norms that you adhere to when it comes to that interview process? I find it very interesting how differently hiring managers think about interview processes and candidates think about interview processes when we've both been on both sides and theoretically should know what the experience is like. But when you're a candidate, like every micro data point you are grabbing onto, the way an email is written, the way something is phrased, if you answer an email on a weekend, like whether swag is sent during different time periods, like all of those things are just tiny micro data points that matter not only to the candidate, but oftentimes to the candidate's like spouse or partner who is involved in that decision-making process. So when we are the candidate, we're thinking that way, but all of a sudden we become hiring managers and it becomes like, you know, not as important anymore. Right. So I try and put myself in those shoes and think about it that way. I've evolved a little bit over time and thinking that process can drive that experience and process is definitely a part of it, especially as organizations get bigger and you have internal recruiters or other people are involved in the process, you know, externally or otherwise. But it still, I think, falls mostly on the hiring manager that has to kind of really create that rapport and really create that special and different experience. And it doesn't take a lot. Send a text, respond quickly to after interview emails, like do the small things because you're the person that they're going to work for, right? They might have a really bad rapport with the recruiter, but they don't care if they have a really good rapport with the hiring manager. So regardless of what level you're at hiring, like that is the effort that I would put in. And it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much from the hiring manager's perspective to create that experience for the candidate. So fantastic insights. There's a real lack of empathy, right? It's almost when you get into the power seat, it's like, okay, you've got to impress me that we've all been candidates before. And to your point, we pull at everything to get an understanding of what it's going to be like to work at this company. Do people show up on time? How do they talk in the interview? Are they more really wondering about me and learning about me? Or are they more wanting to talk about themselves or get a point across? These are type of things that fair or not fair on both sides are being evaluated to know what is this going to be like working with this person? And I totally agree with you. It's once you flip into that other side of that seat, it's like everybody forgets what it's like and how important those little things are. And so I think that's a really good lesson for people to take from that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you do that. In this remote interviewing environment, don't let them know you have a second screen. Like, I think that's one of the most critical, like if they think you're multitasking, you've lost that experience already. I think that's like just very, very small, but very, very important tactic. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was checking Twitter. I apologize. I didn't, uh, I didn't mean to do that. No, I, that's awesome, Eric. It's obviously that you've done a lot of hiring in your past and it sounds like there's been some ups and some downs, but I think you have a really good system that you're working on here. And I, hopefully it leads to a lot of great hiring in your future. Really good insights. Let's talk a little bit about Seed and your role there. So I'm interested, and I think you gave a little bit about this, but I'd like you to get in a little more micro detail. And you might even start from 8 a.m. all the way through the end of the day. What is the day in the life of your job like? And I know no day is the same, yeah, but yeah. just pick a, pick a random day and kind of give me an idea of what it might entail. I would say it's a combination of project management and putting out fires is probably the best way to do it. And it's in a good period of time, because it ebbs and flows all the time, it's more project management and less fires. But we are builders. Like we are in a build mode. We are building internal processes. We are building external processes. We are building technology. We're implementing an ERP right now, which is a huge component. We're thinking about organizational design. So we're building what our organization is going to look like in the future because we're going to make, you know, if we do it right, 50 hires before now and the end of the year. 
And we're a little bit of a unique company, and we can go into more detail on this because this is probably the bigger project I'm working on right now. But we're thinking about how we rethink the traditional organizational design around like marketing, product, et cetera, and what mm. that could mean for us as we try and create a different experience for our customers. But then on the, the firefighting side, it's because we don't have all of this infrastructure and process that we're trying to build, things fall through the crack, things break that we have to just figure out how to deal with in a very fast and efficient manner. You know, obviously prioritizing what impacts our, our members. So you're the COO, you report into CEO, correct? Correct. Okay. And they are founders. Correct. Correct. Yep. Co-CEO, co-founders. Co-CEOs, co-founders. And you've worked for founders, I think, in your last two roles previous to this, correct? Yep. But prior to that, you were at Amazon. I don't believe you were working for Jeff Bezos. So do you have, can you tell me any differences between working for somebody that's maybe a founder versus say somebody who's maybe in working in a larger enterprise environment? Are there differences or does it depend on the person? This will vary by role, but for me, there's a consultancy component of it. I think as they hired me and is even, I think, about constructing senior leadership teams, you're looking for people with varied experiences. You're looking for people with different levels of subject matter expertise. So if you take that through to fruition, I come in, I have a level of subject matter expertise that the two founders don't have. It is part of my job to consult them on those areas because ultimately they are the decision makers. There's also a component of kind of been there, done that in terms of the high growth businesses that I've been part of. And a lot of time founders only do that once. You don't, you know, unless you're Elon Musk, you're not starting multiple high growth businesses one after another. So it's oftentimes the first time that they're going through that part of it. So just helping them think, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months out, the things that are going to be challenging as our business grows from, you know, 40 people when I join to the 200 will probably be at the end of next year. Yeah, I'm gonna dive in a little bit deeper here because because I'm a founder and it brings some things to my mind. So you're coming in as COO and they're bringing you in for that subject matter expertise that you brought up. And I have to imagine there's at some points you got to say, you know, the baby's the baby's a little ugly here. We got to fix this, right? How do you go about and do that? Because with a founder, it's very different than, say, a typical line manager, line leader, right? Is there any way that you have an approach there to give tough news on, hey, the way things have done is not how it should work going forward? Yeah, I mean, I'll challenge the premise a little bit because we're bucketing all founders into the same type of behavior. And I've had enough exposure to founders to know, like, not all founders are the same. And go, even going back to sure. some of the kind of characteristics that we talked about a good interviewing process as a candidate, I'm looking at the founder to make sure that I can have a comfort level that we're going to be able to have those conversations in a constructive way. Because especially in high growth environments mean high stress environments. All founders, you know, most of them are very passionate, but people who are at companies like the one that I work for, everybody's very passionate about it. Well, that brings emotion to the forefront, right? So you have to be able to develop a level of trust in the people that you're going to work, be working with, founders or otherwise, that in those moments when the rubber hits the road, that you're going to lock arms and say, how do we fix this together, as opposed to kind of butt heads and then head different directions. That's a difficult thing to do. It's not easy. It's like hiring, right? Yeah. It's very challenging to do, but it's something that based on the experiences that I've had, I think about a lot. I love that. Great answer. So what are you working on right now that gets you juice, that gets you out of bed in the morning? We're working on a, a project related to kind of how we commercialize our product a little bit to how we make money. You know, not to go too much into the history of Seed, but we've been up until earlier this year, we were one product, one channel. Our flagship DSO one product into the D2C channel. We very quickly are evolving into multi-product, multi-channel. And that has us thinking, if anybody goes out and kind of looks at Seed Health, you'll see we're very intentional about the way we show up in the world and how we communicate who we are and what we are. So there's this merger between physical product, which we develop ourselves, and digital product. 
that I'm sure we're not the first company to grapple with this, but I think we're really going back to first principles and thinking about how do we build this for seed and for what we want to be. And that's a very interesting, both operational question that kind of strokes my CEO passions, but also a very interesting, just kind of human and theoretical question. We're having a lot of, you know, a lot of late nights, but also a lot of fun thinking through as a, as an organization. Well, an exciting time for the company. I mean, this has got to be been going from one product line to multiple product lines is such an exciting transformation. And I'll definitely be following along, but that is very, very cool and, and very cool thing to be a part of. We do this thing here where we go through an old LinkedIn post and we want to find out, you know, what were you thinking here? What were you saying here? Why did you like this? I have one from Seed Health from a few months ago. Our mission is to steward the next generation of probiotics, continuing with the launch of our first pediatric innovation, PDS08, Pediatric Daily Symbiotic. Yeah. So you like this. Tell me about this. What was, what was compelling and what was exciting about this for you? Yeah, it's interesting you asked the question now. That was the moment with which we went from one product to two products. So our initial product, DSO-1, is the adult probiotic. The PDS is a pediatric daily symbiotic. So that's the product that we made for the 5 to 17-year-olds, essentially. And it's a little bit of a different format. And I was excited by it, partly because this is the first company that I've ever worked for that develops its own product. So it's the actual first product launch that I was part of in my career. But from a more bigger picture level, we think about a lot of our products as bringing products into cohorts of consumers that do not have access to them today. So this was a small example of which we will have much bigger ones as we launch our future products, where we could open up probiotics that in a supplement form aren't very prevalent in what we believe an effective and efficacious way to to children. So it was exciting for us. Yeah. Exciting times at seed. All right, man. Last thing I'm going to leave you with here. Okay. I want to know a career advice nugget, maybe something you didn't know when you started your career, but you know now for our younger, early in career listeners out there, any bit of career advice you would give them to keep in mind? Yeah. You know, this is definitely from lived experiences. So other people may take a different approach, but I think find out your style, find out the way that you work that produces the best results for you. And then find the company that appreciates that. I think I see too many people, and I was guilty of this in my early time at Target, of trying to think about success as me conforming to the way that they do work. And as I gained experience, I realized that the way that they want people to work is not the way that I'm going to be most effective. So you start to go on a search to say, if this is the best way of working or the way that I interact with people or the best cultural dynamics that motivate me on a day-to-day basis, just keep going. Now, like everybody has to do a little bit of collaboration. Everybody has to conform a little bit. That's how organizations are built. But on the whole, your happiness will be better if you can just work in the way that is best for you. I would encourage everybody who's younger to figure out, spend, be mindful, spend a lot of time thinking about what that is for you, and then just point your career in the direction that allows you to do that the most often. The wealth will come, the professional development will come, like the happiness will come much faster if you're in those type of positions. Yeah, there's two components to that. Like you said, you've got to learn yourself. And I think a lot of that's going to come through reps and experiences. What do I like? What do I not like? Why do I not like this? Why is this making me feel a certain way? So you learn about that style. I guess my question for you would be, gosh, that's got to be kind of tough to really figure out in just, you know, multiple interviews, a couple hours of interviews with the company. How do you, you know, now that you're so intentional about making sure that you're working in places that fit that style, what are you looking for in an interview to kind of determine that? If I'm being completely honest, it was a little bit of trial and error for me. Like you said, it takes some reps sometimes. You know, so maybe the advice that I'm giving is just don't wait too long if you find yourself in the situation. I think 
I don't know that there's a particular process or particular set of questions that I would advise other than some of the stuff that we've talked about already in the interview process. It's if the interviewer is not leading the interview process in a way that is allowing you to answer those questions for you, then force that into the process because otherwise you're going into the role blind. And I think sometimes, especially earlier in your career, you take the interview process as one-sided. They ask, I answer, you know, and I'm fortunate to be here. I would challenge that premise in a second. Without ego, you know, with humility, ask the good questions and expect them to be able to answer them in a way or give you access to the people that can't answer them. Yeah, I think that's great advice. When you get that opportunity to ask a question, be open and intentional about what's important to you and ask them if that fits with their company, their company culture, the way that they work. And I think hopefully you get the right answer and you can make good decisions from a hiring perspective. Because to your point, it's not just about the company hiring, right? It's, we've been in, everyone's been in situations, you've interviewed for a job and it felt like it was going to be amazing. And then you get a month in, two months in and you look around and you're like, this is not what I was getting into. So I just, I would tell everybody, every candidate, anybody interviewing, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And if you're really intentional about that, you're just bound to make better career decisions that lead to the things you really want in life. Eric, I really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for spending a little bit with me here. Looking forward to uh, further conversations and thanks again. Appreciate it, Oz. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.